Okay, good afternoon. Uh, this afternoon we have a lecture from Sandeep Jetley on gold and gold futures. An examination. Does that mean there's a test at the end? Yes. <laughs> there is. <laughs> In-depth test. Allegedly a test. Allegedly. Thanks, Welcome back, everyone. Um, so, um, I'm going to delve into um, the origin of futures markets and um, a bit about the, uh, the nuances uh, of different, different entities that have futures markets. Um, so to begin with, um, does anyone know which country first developed futures? Japan. Japan. Yes. And does it, do you know what it was for? Rice. Rice. Yes. And uh, this was in around the uh, 17th century. So uh, they've been active at it for, uh, I don't know whether it's still a liquid market or not, but they, they were the first. And they also invented candlestick chart reading as well at a similar time. Um, so what was developed? A market back then was created for the delivery of rice at a certain time with the price established now. And uh, if you think about it, that is actually, it's, it's a miraculous invention, a remarkable achievement of social coordination that uh, a futures market could develop. Okay. Right, before we go into uh, gold specifically, we have to think about the nature of events. And um, I suppose um, things that might be related to a particular event. Okay, so I'm going to uh, give an example here. Uh, think of a horse race. Okay, so we've got a horse race that's going to occur, let's say, next week. Now, a market might develop for the odds uh, of, of a particular horse winning. You know, it's quite easy to conceive that that would happen. Um, is there any limit that the, to the amount that can be wagered on that betting process? No, there is no limit. Is there any way for those who underwrite the wager to influence the result of the, uh, of the event itself? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. If everything's legitimate, no. So what's the only way one underwriter of a particular set of odds can offload his risk? It's by going to another underwriter. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make there is that there's no limit to the amount that can be wagered on the outcome of a particular event in this example, and there's no way uh, for the uh, underwriter to hedge their exposure uh, apart from seeking the offer of another underwriter. Is that, is that clear? It's a bit like the reinsurance market. Yeah, exactly, but because, sorry, because it's like the reinsurance market, the limit is the capacity. Yes. So yeah. there is a limit. You have to look at the equity bases, etc., of all of the other reinsurance companies. Yeah. Okay. But the salient point I'm trying to make there is that there is no way for the, um, for the actual underwriter of a set of odds to, to hedge it, apart from by going to a, someone who's doing exactly the same thing as he is, but at a different uh, price. Okay. So another example now. An annual apple harvest. Okay. So come season, the prices at the local market in our village, which we christened Planet Earth, uh, will reflect how bounteous the harvest had been. So if there was a particularly good harvest, you'd expect apples to be cheap at the apple market. 
And conversely, bad harvest, you'd expect them to be slightly pricier than the, uh, the year before. And I don't think there's anything too controversial in that. Okay, so it's not hard to imagine a market for future apple delivery might develop prior to harvest season. Now, the people that could be making these bids and offers are likely to actually be speculators before I, before I expand a bit why it's not only them, but speculators were the genesis for the futures market. You, you had people who had a view on, what the, on how good the harvest was going to be, and they would place their bets accordingly on the uh, futures market. Now, someone who's written a futures contract cannot hedge their exposure. Why? Because apples outside of season don't exist in this particular example. No warehouses, nothing like that. Apples do not exist prior to uh, the harvest. Okay, so no warehousing. We must remember this. This is an important fact. So, we'll just step back here for a moment. I'm sure you've often heard that um, when you see a report by UBS or whoever talking about the futures market and they show a futures curve, they will, let's say of oil, they will say spot oil is let's say 98 and then the futures curve for uh, let's say out to six months goes to, out to six months goes to let's say $85. And I probably read nine times out of ten that that is the market expectation of what the uh, future price of oil will be. But that's actually uh, rubbish. That's actually rubbish. Complete rubbish. Okay. But it's not, um, it's not rubbish in this example. Okay. Okay, so say it's February. And the last harvest apples finished by October. And prices averaged 5p per kilogram last year. Now, this year's harvest is expected to be bumper, and the bid for future apples at May delivery is 3p. Okay. He had a period of further good weather and the, the harvest was expected to be even more bounteous and the bid falls to, let's say, 2p. So, this is the price that apples were sold at last market. 5p. There are no apples currently, don't forget. We're out of season. And you've got the May bid at uh, 2p. Is May supposed to represent the harvest? No, May uh, after the harvest. So that's when the future... Apples are actually late, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the true apple cycle. Things are all just... Uh... So this is the May. The North <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're in the north. Yeah. I forgot. Yes, things are different down here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, remember, no warehousing. No warehousing at all. And um, speculation has deemed that two p is the price, roughly. Um, that is. Um, going to be the, uh, is what they're willing to bid for that uh, futures contract. So you would see that uh, the market would be in some kind of uh, 
negative forward, uh, negative futures curve, as in downward sloping futures curve. And this you might gel in your head makes sense, you know, because we expect lower Apple prices by May. But don't forget, we don't have the ability to warehouse apples. Okay? Now, what happens if someone has the ability to source apples out of season? This is synonymous to saying that you have the ability to warehouse the good in question. Okay? Well, if someone has the ability to uh, source apples out of season, no pun intended, um, this will start to change. Don't forget, apples are not currently available yet. And even though people think they will be abundant by then, doesn't mean they are abundant now. Okay? So this chap comes into town with his apples. And he says, well, I tell you what, the last market sold them at 5p. I'll sell them at 4p. And furthermore, I'll buy a future because I want apples back in my warehouse by the end of it. I like to store apples. And he will keep on doing that until he no longer wants to do it. And suddenly what happens to the shape of the curve? It starts to go from being negative to being <coughs> more positive sloping. And you should think to yourself, hold on, nothing's changed here. Apples are still going to be uh, abundant in, um, at harvest season. But now it seems like future apples are going to a, a premium to uh, spot apples, which is very bizarre. Not something that you would intuitively expect. But the difference is the entrance of the warehouseman. Okay? So the ability to warehouse whatever the underlying good of the futures market is, is key in deciphering what the futures curve is telling you about the structure of this market. Okay? So now we have to step back a bit again. Total number of entities in the world. So let's say you've got apples, cabbages, copper, etc, etc. That's the total universe of things which could have a futures market applied to them. There is a subset of that, of this set of entities, which are warehousable. And furthermore, and this gets much smaller in its subset, there's a subset of that which is lendable as well. So, something in here might be, let's say, um, cabbages. Can you warehouse cabbages? I think you can. In cold storage. Is there an active lending market for cabbages? <laughs> I don't think there is. Okay. Let's take another example. Copper. Copper is an entity. For sure. 
Is copper warehousable? Yes. Is there an active lending market for copper? Well, there is. Oh, <laughs> you might not know that, but there is. There is an active market for the lending of copper. Okay. What about gold and silver? Where would they be? They'd be exactly the same as copper. So not only is gold and silver warehousable, but it's also lendable as well. So it's a very, very special form of entity. And obviously, you can o it's, there's only likely to be a borrowing and lending market in those goods which have near enough or close to constant marginal utility because people are willing to, to lend and borrow and receive units and take units in that particular good. Okay? Let's think of another contract. The Euro-Dollar future three month euro dollar future it's an entity wow. <laughs> there's, there's not much in the universe that's not an entity <laughs> so does anyone know what does everyone know what the three month euro dollar future is it's not a material <clears throat> it's not a material it's an entity though the three-month euro-dollar future gives what the market expectation of the three-month rate for uh, dollars will be at a um, particular time. Okay? Uh, it's an entity for sure. Would it be possible to, 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 to somehow warehouse what you expect the short-term interest rate to be in 10 years time or five years time no no not at all and obviously it's not a lendable entity either what about the uh, VIX contract VIX gives the expected volatility in three months time obviously an entity as well. Do you think it would be possible to uh, warehouse or hedge what you expect the volatility in three months' time <coughs> to be? No. Well, if you're going to say that the euro-dollar futures is an entity, mm. it's definitely a financial instrument. Yeah. Well, so is an option on it. Yeah. Isn't that kind of like equivalent to warehousing for until the expiration of the contract? Mm, not really. No. Because I was just go on, going on to say that if you look at the euro dollar curve and it's something like that, it's similar to um, apples and not having warehouses. You know, so if this was, let's say, for, for, for January, March, and then going out to June, five, three, two. This is what the market expects the short-term interest rate to be in March. Whereas if you have the ability to warehouse the underlying thing, it would not represent that. It would not represent that at all. Really? Could you say it's like if your Apple warehouse grew more apples or some of them rotted away and the real stuff in there varies, which is what this represents? Okay. Yeah. And same for VIX as well. So. 
I'm sure that those of you who are, who are sort of more in uh, finance professionally will have heard that um, the euro dollar and the VIX gives the market expectation of volatility or the short-term interest rate at that time. But the reason that that is the case is because that particular entity cannot be warehoused. Okay? It cannot be warehoused. There is no one that will give you a contract for what they expect this to be in three months. There's no way for someone to give you that. Okay? So, uh, <clears throat> the key here is to remember the difference between whether the entity is warehousable or not. If it is warehousable, then the forward curve does not tell you anything about what you, the market expects the forward the price then to be. But if you can warehouse it, so if you can't warehouse it, then it does give the expectation of what the market expects that thing to be in the future. Okay? Okay. So, some more examples uh, of uh, silver. Silver, we know, goes right here. And gold. Not only are silver and gold warehousable, but there's also an active lending market. It's called the lease market, but it's, it's a borrowing and lending market for gold for gold and silver, okay? So gold and silver and copper and a few other things. Actually, no, there's not much more beyond sort of silver, gold and copper that has an active lending market. Oil does not really have an active lending market. So it's limited to just, just a few things. Whereas something like corn stops here. Okay. Now, we're going to debunk a myth here that is quite popular amongst the um, the uh, conspiracy cabal, which says that, oh, you know, there are far too many gold futures relative to uh, the gold, you know, and there's manipulation, and, you know, look at them, you know, they can print as many futures as they want, it's disgusting, they've only got 100 tons of silver on the balance sheet, yet they've got 500 tons of silver futures written out, you know, it's a disgrace. And I won't name the organizations which have made a fabulous living on the back of this kind of flawed philosophy, but I'm sure you can all figure them out uh, for yourself. Um, but that kind, of, uh, that kind of thinking is completely incorrect. Completely incorrect. And we'll go through an example to show why they're incorrect. Okay. So, buying gold in the cash market selling a six-month future at the same time. And the prices that, this is, that these are done at it's not really relevant, but let's just say 1,000 and 1,010. Making a $10 carry from doing this. So chap goes into the market, 
buys 100 ounces of cash gold and simultaneously sells a six-month future. So this chap is sitting there and um, he's got his gold, he's got his warehouse, he's written a future, but he's got six months until he has to um, hand it over. So what did we say about gold and silver that's particularly special about them? They have a lending market. So what can this chap do? He can say, right, I think I'll try and maximize my profit a bit more. I'm going to lend uh, this gold to B, who sells it to C. It's not really relevant why B would want to lend it. Uh, sorry, why B would want to borrow the gold. But there are people who need to borrow gold usually gold miners in this day and age. So A lends to B, who sells to C. The same piece of gold. Now C, for some reason, doesn't want to have exposure in gold. He wants to do something similar <coughs> to our man up here. So uh, he uh, sells a six-month future <coughs> as well, on the back of it. Lo and behold, what have we got here? We've got two futures contracts against the same gold. But is that fraudulent? No, it's not fraudulent. Not fraudulent at all. On one strict condition. Can anyone imagine what the condition is? The duration of the uh, lease is... Yes matches the original, so, so it should be less yes. than the original. Yes. You said sells to C, hmm. you didn't say lease. So does Lends to B. Yeah. The B has borrowed the gold for some reason. If you've borrowed gold, you want the cash, so you sell it to someone. But the guy who's, who bought it now owns it. He owns it, yeah, for sure. So why should he return it? It's his. No, he, he borrowed it. No, no, no. C has bought. It's not necessarily the same gold. Okay, you can't say you can't say why C has. Um, you can't say why. Uh, why has C bought it? You know. No, I didn't say why, but just the fact that he bought that chunk of gold. Mm. If he would have bought some other gold, well, this doesn't hold. Because if they release it, and he would release it. Of course, you can do it with another gold. But I'm saying that. At the very least, you can even do it with the same piece of gold. I think there's a different confusion. The, the six-month future from C does yeah. not have to be six months, it five years. It could be two billion years. You know, it doesn't a, need to be. A's future has to be... Uh, it could be that. It's A who's... who's uh, so the, 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 the whole maintenance of this in terms of rigor and clearing I'm still digesting this. Somehow that those two futures have to be met if there's a call against them. No, yeah. that future has nothing to do with the first one. I understand that. But what, well, when the first one comes due... Well, first of all, the protagonist here is the person who borrows. Yes. Yeah. So where does he get the gold to repay his debt? Well, I don't know. Ah. But the point is, though, that you wouldn't be borrowing it unless you knew that. <laughs> but how can you sell something you don't own? I mean, if I... Where am I selling house, something I don't own? If I, if I borrow somebody's house, mm. I can't legally sell their house because I don't own it. So why can he <laughs> sell something he's only borrowed? That's a good question. Um, it's a bit like shorting a stock. You know, if, if you want to... Um, capitalize upon a share price falling, someone has to lend you, let's say it's um, Safeways, okay? If you think Safeways is going to fall in price, someone has to lend you Safeway stock, okay? And on that contract will be, you have to return to me Safeway stock in three months' time. 
Now, if he sells it in the interim, which obviously he will do, because he wants to capitalize upon the fall, which he thinks will happen, he will sell it for cash and hopefully buy back the shares at a lower price and then return the shares to him before the contract is due. And does C know that they're buying something that doesn't belong to B? Does C... Well, C has bought gold for cash. I mean, where it's come from is not really um, relevant. But does C actually... But see, he's actually buying something. Well, the point that Fiona's making is that C is buying something that B doesn't own. So who owns Well, of course. Well, no, but, when, but think about it. When I sell those Safeway shares... Okay, that I borrowed into the market. The person who's buying them doesn't care that I borrowed them. Actually, I think I think there's a distinction here. In this case, B owns that gold and has a liability to A. Yeah. It's not the same thing as if you borrow, if you rent a house, you never actually have title to the house. In this case, you have title to the gold and you have a liability to A. It's more like you okay. own the house, but you have a mortgage on it. I think that would be a better way to compare. It's not the guy who takes the second contract. It's the guy who bought it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. No, but B has the right to sell it because B owns the gold, and B has a gold liability to A at the same time. <coughs> so A no longer owns the gold, even though they only lent it to B. Right. A owns uh, a, a gold receivable. Yeah. B owes a gold receivable and owns the gold. Then B sells the gold, and obviously B had better do something to match his balance sheet. B doesn't own the gold, B leased it. But I think A's compromised here, because A's promised <coughs> to sell it to somebody else in six months. No, but he's going to get it back within five months, or 5.9 months. But they don't, A doesn't have the ownership anymore, he only has the... the no, 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 A has, a has a claim on B. A has a receivable. Yeah, but he doesn't have a claim for gold. He only has a claim for the, the price of the gold. No, no, he has a claim for a, the gold. A, a, a has a gold receivable. He has a claim who, for the gold. Who owned the gold? When A lent it to B, yeah. did A still own the gold? Or did B lend it to the gold? Well, B has title to the gold. A, so therefore B, to, B owns it. So A B, B, only has the promise of the payment for, exactly. for gold. Yeah, that's what A, I said. They have the promise of the payment, but they don't have the gold to then sell. To yeah, well, look, this is why the world's in such a terrible bloody mess. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Okay, this is legitimate. Okay, this is legitimate. That's even worse. No, it's not a fraud. It is not a fraud. I didn't say okay. fraud, I said flawed. Flawed. No, it's not even flawed. It's perfectly it's this is the way the market would naturally arrange itself. You know, there, there's nothing flawed about this. This is actually because there is a lending market for this good. This, this is just basically a flip side of a deposit market. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, there, do, you, do a few people get that? I understand. Yeah. It relies on a huge amount of integrity. Well, just like any deposit system does. Any, any system. Any system, yeah. you know. Are we talking about uh, MF Global before? <laughs> Not mentioning any names, <laughs> but... Uh, MF Global went under because they bought European bonds, I think. But, uh, yeah, but they still stole people's money. Yes. They stole people's money to buy European bonds, which yeah. is worse. <laughs> Stealing is wrong. The key concept here is that when A gives the gold to B, now there is a credit relationship between the two. So A owns a receivable or a gold note or some, some, whatever you want to call it. There's a credit relationship where B owes A in six months the gold. A does not technically own the gold anymore. It's the difference, it's that Mises mistake. It's the difference between a present good and a future good. A does not own gold. A owns a piece of paper that says it will turn into gold in six months, hopefully, probably, maybe. B owns the gold. B sells the gold, and if B is doing something legitimate, B is a gold miner, mm. and B knows that gold is coming out of the ground in six months, because B is digging it up out of the ground in six months. In the meantime, B can sell the gold, let's say, to meet cash, cash flow requirements, to C, who knows nothing about any of this, except he's got a gold brick. And then C can sell gold future against it. So C is doing an arbitrage, buying gold and selling the future against it uh, to yeah. whatever you it know. is.
Can, we, can I finish my uh, talk, please? <laughs> yeah. Bringing the gold miner in focuses it as he for sh pretty sure he's going to take the gold out. Yes. But not necessarily the gold mine could collapse. Yeah. Whereas the other guys, that's another way of getting the gold. There are only very few people who have a legitimate gold income at the moment, you know, and they are gold miners. So, um, but obviously, when, when you're under a, a, a real gold standard, everyone has a gold income of, of, of some sort. So, B, B might be limited to miners in the current day and age, but under a proper gold standard, it would be everyone who's entitled to... But then, you know, there wouldn't really be a gold futures market. You know, I mean, that's the flip side to that. Okay? So, the, this process can continue with the same gold being behind many different futures. And the only thing that uh, puts a halt to it is the marginal reluctance to either A, someone to borrow the gold, or B, because there is insufficient uh, profit in doing this. That's the kind of thing that will put a, a bound on the futures market relative to the uh, cash market. Okay, so someone's reluctance, either A, they don't want to borrow it, or B, they don't want to carry it for that insufficient, um, that insufficient um, premium. Okay, right. So, we move on a bit more, and Louis has already uh, sort of hinted at it. Um, where can uh, problems arise in this setup? Big defaults. Yeah, that's a major one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else? Well, the future has to be at least six months because he was going to have the goal for six months. Mm. Well, A's future has to be bigger than C's future, but there's nothing really to limit the No, no, there's, nothing, there's no relationship between A's future and C's future. So B has to somehow get the gold, gold back to pay back A. Yeah. So how does he get it? Not necessarily from C. No, no, not from C. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a clue here. The six-month future. What if he'd lent it out for 20 months instead of uh, six months? Would that be... Uh, you mean initially? Initially. What if A had lent out... Having written a six-month future... Well, if he lent it out for 20 months, clearly he's going to be in default. Yeah. At the end of, uh, end of six months. Yeah. He might or might not be in default. Okay, I'll go into that later. Okay, but... But you shouldn't do that. Short yeah, no. you no. just shouldn't do that. You should be sharp. <laughs> 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 okay. They'll hire him at the Fed. Yes. You shouldn't do that because um, it is like borrowing short to uh, to lend long. It's 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 a different flip side of that uh, of that commonly known uh, that commonly known market mechanism. Okay. So, the chap that bought this uh, six-month future, so Peter was saying he would default, you know, if he'd lent it out for 20 months, so come six months. Well, come six months, he's, he sold that for 1010 I mean, if the price had um, gone up to, um, say, 1100 I and mean, the guy who supposedly owned it, He's bought that. He wanted to um, carry up, uh, make good the um, the option to buy that, and he wanted it on sale. Well, he couldn't because he wouldn't have had the product. He doesn't have the product. He does have a uh, receivable, though, yeah, as Keith was talking that. about. Yeah. The thing is, though, that it's a receivable for for twenty months. You know, which is well beyond when he might have to give up gold. Um, against delivery um, of that future. Okay. Now, uh, 
How many people take delivery of gold futures? Does anyone know as a percentage of open interest on a monthly basis? Two percent, right? Yeah. One or two percent. Not a hundred percent. So what's the likelihood if he had lent it for 20 months on a six-month contract, what's the likelihood of it being exposed? Well, Very low. At the moment. At the moment. <laughs> At the moment. Gerald Spinter, he'd be taking delivery of it. He'd be doing a whole program of that. No, but it's funny. I've been, I, I, I got a few banks, I won't name them, to send me uh, details of how much gold is actually um, delivered. And I've been monitoring it since 2004. And even with all of this excitement in the gold and silver markets, it's never gone above 2%. <coughs> 2% has been pretty, pretty high. Okay, and you think, all right, yeah, fair enough. Um, and then you think, well, why is it only 2%? Well, if you think of the mandate of most funds, they're not allowed to. Uh, they're any, they can only hold gold futures. They have to roll. So this, this fraud of lending it out for uh, a lot longer... Um, a lot longer than uh, you're meant to, it's, it's tucked away. You can't see it. You know, and you're not likely to see it for a very, very um, long time. Because funds that generally invest in gold are not allowed to own physical gold. If anyone is familiar with USITS, in, uh, which is a sort of, it's a fund sort of um, classification that everybody likes in, um, in Europe, you know, you've heard of it. Yeah. You're not allowed to, uh, you're not allowed to own physical commodities in a USIT structure. And 99% of people who want to invest in funds want a USIT structure fund. Right, the last thing they want is the actual metal. Yeah. They last thing they want is the actual metal. Yeah. Okay. Nevertheless, okay, so, okay. Let's just say that... Um, a hasn't lent it out for uh, 20 months, um, but seven months, say. And the person who bought this futures contract, he does want uh, delivery. Yeah. Okay. Is, there, is, it, is it a case of the gold never being there? You're dead, you're, you're, you're finished. No. Okay. What will happen is he, the person who underwrote it, will say, look, I've got a, I've got a receivable here. You know, it's coming in seven months. I know you bought a six-month future and you're expecting it in six months, you know. But uh, you'll have to wait a month longer <coughs> if you want your gold. Um, now, that might be acceptable to the other person. It might not. It's hard to say. Cash <laughs> yeah, but What you'd probably do is find somebody that's got gold and... Uh, and Probably try and borrow it. Yeah. Yeah. And they will have to, you know, charge to their equity base the cost of uh, the cost of doing that. It might be a profit. It might be a loss. Yeah. It might be a profit. It might be a loss. You know. But the point is, though, that um, you see ten thousand gold contracts, future contracts out there versus. Only a thousand, sorry, a hundred equivalent contracts of physical gold in the system. Uh, that's the way it would be, even if it, if it, if it was legitimate. You know, even if durations were matched, so that when it was lent, it was shorter than the uh, the length of the futures contract. Never, if that was the case, it would still be the case that you have many more futures contracts. Than there are, than there is uh, physical gold or physical silver. The problem arises when you mismatch your durations, not from issuing excess futures. You know, that's like saying they've issued excess credits or too much credit. Yes, of course that can be the case. You know, but the total amount of credit, as Professor said, in a system 
it will be much, much bigger than the amount of gold that's underneath it anyway. Okay? So, Gata. Uh, I love Gata. They have lovely conferences uh, in lovely places. It's just, uh, yeah. Um, but the point is, though, that it's not going to be a case of if you own a futures contract, you'll never get the gold. It will just be a question of how long it is before you get the gold on the back of the lease contracts that the counterparty who wrote the contract had in the first place. And you don't know. I mean, they could have let it out for a hundred years, you know. You just don't know how long they've lent it out for underneath. Now, does anyone, can anyone imagine what the signal will be for, for the, uh, the unravelling of all of this? <laughs> Apart from Keith. Yes, backwardation. Okay, so when the market becomes uh, backwardated, you're basically exposing uh, the shot structure of the way that the, uh, the underlying collateral was lent against the, 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 the duration of the contracts written. And that might be exposed because you go from, let's say, 2%. So as long as people are willing to roll to the next contract, that always means there is a what for the next contract? A bid for the next contract. Okay? And I don't know when it will be, you know, it might be two and a half, three, four percent, you know, that exposes the fact that the composition of the of the stuff behind that is is, is more uh, lease certificates than uh, physical physical gold. But the point is that the best way to, to watch for that is to watch for backwardation in the gold market and silver market. So that is exposing... Um, is that clear? Good. And on your chart there, the, the backwardation is visually depicted by the $10. Yeah. Well, it's contango now. Yeah. Right? If it was 1999, we have, we have. Uh, December gold is in uh, backwardation at the moment. So if you have, um, if you have, ca sorry. Yes, so we're, the December gold contract is in backwardation at the moment. So if you have uh, cash gold, you can, um, you can sell your cash gold now and buy the December contract uh, for delivery end of this month, next month. And uh, is it? Okay. <laughs> and uh, you'll get, what, what was the percentage? 1%? Annualized, something like that. Yeah, it's sort of like it's, it's something like one percent on an annualized. That's annualized, and given yeah. that that's like twenty days uh, left, that's you know. It's not much on a sort of nominal basis, you know. 1. But one point oh six percent kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking for bigger equation. Um, no, well, it shouldn't be happening full stop. You know that it is happening is is the major is the major point and it, 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 it's like a it's the canary in the coal mine it, it, it's showing that um, the structure was not properly set up um, was not properly um, established in the first place you know in terms of the duration of the futures contracts written against the amount of time that the stuff was lent out for um, so what you could do now is you could sell December gold, buy back the December, sorry, sell cash gold now, buy the December future, 
and pocket a very minute um, premium. Mm. Um, and it's unlikely that you're going to be handed back um, a bunch of lease receipts come the end of December. You might do, but um, I don't think we're at that stage yet. So there is this, inverted commas, risk-free profit to be, uh, to be made by doing this. Yeah. But at some point, uh, you won't get gold back. You'll get a mixture of gold and a receivable. Do you have a say in that? Do I? Would you have a say in that? Because if I take yeah. out gold and I got a receipt back or I did what you used to said, I'd, I'd want physical. You won't have it. a choice in the matter. <laughs> so that's what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and if you buy a future, that future mm. will come in whatever form they can offer you at the time. Yeah. Which may not even be a receivable, it may be the cash equivalent. The They've worst case, done. yes. They've already done that. Yeah. Or, or shares in the GLD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fungible, yeah. They've done what, that too. Yeah. What does the, does the COMEX guarantee delivery at the moment? Uh, <laughs> they do. I think they do. So they don't have to say, hey, we're out of here. You guys fight it out yourselves. So yeah. you want to watch They have an option to actually give you the cash if they have not the they, they offer, they have, they're known to have done this since 2008. Offered people who wanted delivery a cash equivalent with a premium or shares in the GLD, and that has been accepted mm. many times because generally they'll be institutions but, as opposed to individuals. But you can't, you can say. But no. you can't say, can you, you can't say, no, no, no. 0.71% annualized. 0.7. I've actually seen a contract where it you. says that <laughs> if they don't have the gold, the physical gold, they can instead use pay of cash. Oh, I'm sure. Like, uh, I don't know whether anyone remembers LME nickel default um, five in 2006. So uh, LME, uh, the nickel market went into default after being in backwardation for a very, very. The, the nickel market is a tiny market. Don't forget, compared to gold, um, which is itself a very tiny market compared to other markets. But. Um, what happened there was that uh, they said the shorts have to pay the, uh, the longs through the clearinghouse 1% per day uh, until the, uh, the metal can be delivered. Now obviously if you think the people on the long side of nickel contracts at the LME um, usually need the metal, you know, battery makers and things like that. So cash substitute, you know, you can't make batteries out of paper, you know, cash. And if you can't use the cash to buy nickel, you're, uh, you're up a creek. In this example, I don't know. In gold, um, you know, it's hard to say. Gold is obviously more, uh, it's more, uh, it plays more on human psychology than uh, nickel does. But uh, they might say a similar thing. Um, well, I don't think it would be as severe as that because obviously behind the nickel market there aren't many ni nickel leases, you know. Whereas behind the gold market there are a huge number of gold leases and a huge number. The same, same for the silver market um, as well. Um, Barrick uh, could borrow gold for 15 plus years on a lease. Now, the futures market does not go out beyond. Uh, three, four years uh, in terms of a, a sensible, obviously the over-the-counter market is much bigger than the futures market in gold anyway. Uh, but that gives you an extent to which uh, the collateral could have been lent out. 15 years versus the furthest contract, futures contract, which might be two years from now. You know, so, so, but again, you're groping in the dark. You don't really know. You only know that it's likely to be exposed, um, or the it is being exposed when the market goes into uh, backwardation, actional backwardation, actionable backwardation. So, what has happened in the previous episodes is that gold has actually uh, gone up quite sharply in price. 
and that has um, that has caused somehow the market or people to people who should know better to sell physical gold um, onto the market, and that alleviates um, any um, any problem there might be. But at some point, that won't uh, that won't happen. So you will see backwardation increasing in terms of the percentage profit you can make from selling and selling your cash gold and buying a future. Um, but the escalation in the price rise, uh, the escalation in the price is not doing anything to um, to combat that. So at the moment, we're not seeing that. When the market has gone into backwardation, the price has escalated sufficiently and it's gone out of backwardation because physical gold has come onto the market and the price usually has reacted as a consequence. But this has been happening um, every December now for the past, uh, including this year, three years. The market going into a pretty big backwardation um, uh, into the end of the year and then into uh, so the backwardation usually continues um, until the price has escalated far enough usually into middle of January something like that um, before it goes away again before people attempted to uh, sell could be different this time I don't know as Keith was saying if it comes back to if it if it infects February which it did in 2008, that will be pretty severe because, and I'm not going to go through it now, the mechanics of rolling means especially so that the next contract should not go into backwardation. And if it does, there are pretty big forces there, you know, going against it for it to have gone into backwardation. So we're not there yet. It may have changed, I don't know. Um, it might change next week. Um, but it is um, amber, amber lights, I would say, at the moment. Do you think that the fact that it's happening in December might be just something related to uh, most, most companies have a 31st of December annual account, so people are printing out their uh, balance sheets to get past it? Um, there has to be, um, well first of all December is not a particularly, um, it's not a particularly unusual month only in the sense that both gold and silver trade at the same time. The December contract is the only month that is concurrent between uh, the two. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that there's a particular reason, especially for it to have happened in December. Because I've seen it occur in June. Um, I've seen it occur um, in August as well. But much more briefly um, and not to the same extent. So it's infecting all months. But December seems to be the month for some reason that it, it's very noticeable in. And this is the third year now that uh, you've seen this, you've seen this, um, you've seen this uh, behavior. Well, can we keep the questions for after yeah. afternoon tea? It's, it's time, tea has been served, so please join me in thanking Sandy.